Good morning, everyone. How are you? Hey, I wanted to just give a special thank you to the worship team for putting in extra practice, extra work. It's great to, to hear just uh, the music this morning. Really, really powerful, uplifting, and awesome. Uh, please turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. That's where we, we left off in our study of this amazing gospel. And the title of the lesson today is, Am I Changing? Because that was the expectation that John and God and the prophets had whenever they spoke the word, words of God to people. They expected the people to respond and to change. Now, in the ancient studies of the scriptures, the Hebrew text, a lot of the prophets were killed because they were expecting people to change. And so they were stoned to death, sawed in half, ostracized. Because, and, and, because the people and the leaders did not want to change, they made the leader the scapegoat. And so they killed the prophets. And so along comes John the Baptist, who really is an amazing man of God. And I always want to kind of highlight what John was doing. John the Baptist was preaching in the desert of Judea. He was preaching a baptism of the repentance and forgiveness of sins. You know, what's interesting, if, if you were here last week, what was so, so startling for the Jewish men was that John was expecting them to get immersed in the water. But according to the Jewish culture and the teaching of that time, only the Gentiles are the ones that got immersed or baptized, not the Jewish men. Because they were saved because they were sons of Abraham. They were born into the kingdom of God. But John says, you too must be baptized. And you too must repent. Because the kingdom of God that was coming was the kingdom of the hearts. It was no longer a monarchy. And so that's John's message. And it was written, this gospel, to explain to the Gentiles that the Messiah, he came for all people. All nations. Yep. All races. You know, one thing I love about our church is we're a church of all nations. Yeah. You'll see every nationality here, almost every nationality in this room. It is pretty good. We are open. We want other nations to hear the gospel. And the role of John the Baptist, he was to be a prophet. A, a, a forerunner, so to speak, before Jesus came and preaches the same thing. He was really the prelude. For salvation. And John the Baptist's ministry is he's the connector of the Old Testament prophets looking backwards towards the church looking forward. He's the connector right there. And John's ministry needs to remind us of the role of the church is to be a prophet to all nations, preaching a baptism of repentance and forgiveness. Of sins. That message has never changed. Though many people try to change that message. Because repentance is a lot more difficult than just to believe. Believing is quite simple. But necessarily believing does not make you repent. Remember, remember the Greeks wanted miraculous signs and they saw many of them with Jesus. And they still didn't repent. The Greeks wanted knowledge. And still didn't repent. And just like the prophets before John. John himself. He preaches with conviction. To the political. 
and the religious rulers. Let's look and look through together. You know, we live in a, in a time where our president is named Barack Obama. Our governor is Jerry Brown. It's not a political speech, but we live in a time of history that you should recognize. In our nation's history, we have the first black president. That's pretty historic. We live in historic times. So I want to get your mind prepared in, in, in our time that John's message still relates to us today. Just as John had the Word of God, we too have the Word of God. Amen. Just as John preaches a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins, we too. John was radical. Are you radical? John was radical about Jesus. He's coming. And not only is he coming, there's wrath that's coming too. Right. You know, John didn't wear fine robes and tassels. No. You couldn't find John in the synagogue. John was calling people out of Judaism, out of the temple, into the deserts, away from the ritualistic nature, worshiping of God. Because John was not looking, and God is not looking for churchgoers. He doesn't look for those. He wants us to repent and to be radical like his son and the prophets before him. Remember the time when you got a little radical? Should we say before the kids? Some with, some before. We should not speak of being radical like it was in the past, like it way back then. Yeah. And I think to, for many of us, we speak of it as like, oh, I used to be, yeah, when I was in the campus or when I was, you know, back then. Like, we, like we've passed the radicalness of, you know, our, our Christianity. I'm on the radical, I'm on the cruising side now. I'm going to cruise it in. As we know, no one retires as a Christian. We retire when we breathe our last breath. That's, right. That's our retirement. Luke 3, chapter, I mean, chapter 3, Luke, and Luke, verse 8. Luke 3, verse 8. I said it there, blah, blah, blah. You know, John, John is saying, you know, he's welcoming the guys who want to get baptized. And he calls them, you know, the, the, the famous welcome of the church. These guys are coming to get baptized. He says, who warned you, you brood of vipers? I mean, remember that welcome? Yeah. That was pretty encouraging right there, right? 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 They wanted to get baptized, you brood of vipers, right? He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. Do not begin to say to yourself, I'm part of the Los Angeles Church of Christ and the Shoreline Church of Christ. I was baptized as a Christian. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children from Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What does produce fruit mean? Produce fruit. Well, it's symbolic in the context here. It's the result of an obedient or disobedient lifestyle. You bear fruit. A person can yield good fruit and a person can yield bad fruits. Teachers are known for their fruits. 
They'll either bear good fruit or false teachers will bear bad fruit. Jesus says, by their fruit, you'll recognize a false teacher. By their repentance, you'll recognize a false teacher. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a bad tree can bear good fruit. That's the status of your heart. If your heart's not in the right place, you can't bear good fruit. You know, one of the characteristics of, of fruit here in James 3 is wisdom. Someone who's wise, someone who's learned from their mistakes can bear good fruit. You know how, how many times we fail as Christians? How many we blow it? If we learn from those mistakes, it makes us more wiser. Right? And with a good heart, we can bear good fruit with our wisdom of all our failures. It's kind of an, a, a paradox, an oxymoron. I fail so much, yet, well, if you learn from them, you'll become wise. If you fail to learn from your mistakes, from your mistakes, the Bible calls you a fool. Because you keep repeating them. Okay? So John preaches a judgment whether we can choose to repent or not to repent. So it says here a cutting off. What does that mean? The axe is at the root. Think of a tree that is dead or dying. It's in your yard. You go get an axe or a chainsaw and you deal with the root. You don't just cut off the branches. You got to go down to the roots. What does that mean? Well, these mean that these men were counting on being born Jewish for their salvation. I'm a son of Abraham. We can be the same way. I'm counting on the fact that, you know, I studied the Bible 20 years ago. I repented 20 years ago. I believed and got baptized 20 years ago. I'm in like Flynn. We can start thinking that. I just go to church on Sundays. I'm committed. I'm giving you my 10%. I'm sacrificing. And we can, just, we can just sit there. He says, make sure you produce fruit in keeping with your repentance. Amen. It's an ongoing process of change. See, the guys, they were just sitting on their laurels. And John preached that that will not save you. Being a churchgoer will not save you. Just because you were baptized something years ago will not save you. You have to continue to change, continue to grow, continue to evolve in your Christianity. Sincerity does not equal truth. I've met some sincere people in my time who are completely lost. You can just turn on the TV and see them if you want to. Just turn on a TV channel and you see it right there. Sincerity does not equal truth. So that's why we must hold to the teachings of Jesus. Hold to them. But you've got to study them. You've got to know them. You can't get your, your Bible study just from the Sunday sermon. You've got to study it. You've got to know it. You've got to defend, defend your faith. Why you believe. And in verse 10, the crowd responds. What should we do then, the crowd asked. You know, it reminds you of Acts 2.37. When Peter preached, brothers, what shall we do? Because when you hear something convicting, you're like, what do I, a good heart guy goes, what do I need to do? What do I have to do? 
It's a sign of being moved. It's a sign of being convicted. You know, when we read something in the scripture, or we hear some preaching that convicts us, do you ever ask the question, what should I do? How can I bear fruit in my life? Soft heart or a hard heart? The soft heart is, what can I do? The hard heart is, like, mm, I'm not sure I believe that. We can have a hard heart very easily. Let me think about that. But John gives very practical direction. He not only preaches a, I mean, a riveting, you know, challenging uh, lesson here, but he also gives them practicals. What should we do? In verse 11, John answered, The man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. He said, hey, be generous. You got two? Here's one. You know, the brother in the, one of the Russian churches in Moscow, the minister there decided to reach out to millionaires. He just went up to millionaires and, and shared his faith, and he converted a couple of them. And one of the millionaires up there was, you know, he has, he has seven cars. He's rich. He's wealthy. So the minister said, hey, you know, Sergey goes, hey, hey, can you sell one of your seven cars and, and, and get all these poor disciples to go over to San Antonio and pay for their trip? He goes... Let me think about that. And he came back, sold his car, one of his seven, paid for all the disciples who were poor, couldn't afford to go to San Antonio, to go to San Antonio with hotel and food and everything, took care of them. Practical. Very practical. The fruit of generosity. Very awesome. Reminds, us of, reminds you of, of Acts chapter 2, when the disciples do that. Acts chapter 4, sharing with others. The fruit of generosity. What's the fruit there? People respect you. People appreciate you. You are wise. It also inspires others to do the same. Then, the, then verse 12. The tax collectors also came to, be, came to be baptized. Teacher, what should we do? He says, don't collect any more than you, you're, you're required to, he told them. You see, they always, they charge a surtax. You know? You know what a surtax is? And a little extra. A little extra for themselves. Okay? It was dishonest. It was unnecessary. They were already getting a salary for what they were doing. But they wanted a little more. And so it was dishonest. And the fruit of that life is people disassociate with you. They'll disassociate with him. He's untrustworthy. And the tax collectors were hated for that. They were despised for that. That's why it was so radical when Zacchaeus goes, I'll give half my possession to the poor. Everything. If I cheat anyone, I'll give them back everything plus. That's why Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Because right. his repentance was radical. Yeah. It was a radical repentance. That's right. And then the soldiers came. Now these weren't Roman soldiers. These were temple soldiers. And they said, what should we do? And John says, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Because what, what are they doing? They have a shakedown when you come to the temple. They'd extort you and shake you down for some extra money. And then they say, it was somebody else robbed you. Now it wasn't me, it was somebody else. That was how they made a little extra on the side. At the temple. Right? Where you're supposed to have a relationship with God. The ushers are doing a shakedown. <laughs> 
I'm not accusing our ushers of the shakedown. But it is a shakedown when you come to church. And that is not a good situation. He says, be content with your pay. You know, you start shaking things down when you have trouble in your finances. When you're living out of your means. You're living way above your means. You can have a little form of a shakedown. Start really changing your convictions from the Bible. Just to, just to match your out-of-control lifestyle of spending. You know, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, I'm just going to put it on the board here. It says, Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Amen. You know what it is to wander? That means to walk or move in a leisurely, casual, or aimless way. Just kind of care, casually walking, and before you know it, you're lost. It's very casual, it's very slow, it's very leisurely, and you're lost. It's not like that, it's, it's a wandering. And it also says that you get pierced with high interest rates, right? You get pierced when you realize your check doesn't match your bills. It's a piercing. And then there's griefs. Usually it's a spouse crying, right? Someone's crying. It is a sad situation. Maybe both are crying. You know, we buy stuff and it puts more pressure on us. We accumulate more and it increases the pressure of sustaining. That's why the Bible says, be generous. Live below your means. This is why giving a contribution to the Lord, it guards your heart from turning into this, this wandering away. In verse 15, it says, The people were waiting expect, uh, expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but the one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I, will, I am not worthy to untie. Man, the mood of that time was they knew a Messiah was coming. And when John is preaching, people start thinking, I think he might be the one. And there was, uh, there was plenty of people who pretended to be the Messiah in that time. There was Judas who pretended to be the Messiah. There was a guy named Simon. He was a servant of Herod. He pretended to be the Messiah and was killed. And there's Athronges. He's a shepherd who pretended to be the Messiah and was killed. These are all noted Messiahs who claimed to be the Messiahs by Josephus, a Jewish historian. People were claiming because the, the atmosphere was rich with the Messiah's coming. But each of them fell to their demise. Their movement did not last. Their preaching did not sustain. Because their movement was based on overthrowing the government bodies called the Roman Empire. That was their movement. And there are movements after that. Look in your Bible in Acts chapter 5. Just put your finger in Luke and use your little ribbon to go to Acts chapter 5. Or use your ribbon to go to stay in Luke and then go to Acts chapter 5 and you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. 
And there's this, there's this, uh, this Pharisee, religious teacher, his name is Gamaliel. And he says something that should remind us of what's happening in that time. There is a rich cloud of expectation of a Messiah. And he says in Acts chapter 5, verse 36, Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in this present case, which is the case of Jesus, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting God. There were pretenders before Jesus, and there were pretenders after Jesus. Not everyone was sold that Jesus was the Messiah. We are sold on that. We believe that and we are blessed. But back then, it was very skeptical. It was very skeptical environment. And these men claimed to be something, and they were not. And as we know, the movement of Jesus spread to the Roman Empire and continued to spread. And what convinced people was not only that Jesus taught, you know, not to rebel against the government, but to change their hearts and repent and be baptized. In fact, some of the apologists in the first century, one of their, ma- their main tenets to the, to the emperor was, hey, we're your best citizens. We're compliant. We obey the law. We're just not going to worship you. Yeah, that's right. We're your best. We pay our taxes. Yeah. We're not going to worship you. That was the conviction. And many, many of your brothers and sisters perished for that conviction. Amen. They died for that conviction. Not some dying in your sleep death. Brutal death. Beatings. Burnings. Eaten by wild animals. Children eaten. Children burned. Because we're not going to worship you. We respect you. But we're not going to worship you. And the temptation for John the Baptist could have been, hey, people think I'm the Messiah. I'm pretty good, you're right. Pretty close. I mean, can you imagine the temptation? I mean, I'd be tempted to go, wow, people are saying pretty awesome things about me. I mean, it is our human nature, is it not? And here is John. Now, John would have loved his position more than his role, there would have been a big problem. And a lot of times, we love our position more than our role. The difference. Positions come and go. Sometimes you're the boss, sometimes you're not the boss, right? But our role as Christians is steady. It's our role. Whether I'm a leader in the church or a leader at work, it's a role. That changes. If you've been a Christian long enough, that role always changes. It comes and goes. But are you a disciple of Jesus? And John doesn't fall into that trap. He says, hey, I'm not unworthy to untie this guy's sandals. You know, the transition of Roman emperors was always brutal. 
It was rarely smooth. From, from Augustus to Tiberius. Augustus didn't even want Tiberius to be emperor. He didn't even want that. He wanted his sons, but they were killed in battle. Fine, send this guy back out of, out of exile and we'll make him the emperor. Fate is cruel, Augustus says on his deathbed. He didn't want Tiberius. But John here wants Jesus to know that, hey, you're more, you're more powerful, mighty. I can't even untie your sandals. You see that transition? Humble. Yep. We might see a transition in November, right? In our country, we know we have peaceful transitions. Yep. Can you imagine living in a society where the trend of the, of the leadership sometimes is done by murder? Yeah. Wow. Emperors were killed sometimes, murdered by their own guards. Conspiracies. But John had radical humility. He was humble. He was so different than the world around him. And in verse 16b, he says, Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So following John's baptism, Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. But then he adds, with fire. What does that mean, with fire? With fire means judgment. There will be a judgment. In verse 17, this is the judgment. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. He's saying there's going to be a judgment. Yeah, you're getting, getting baptized with me. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. But there is a judgment to come. Yep. Now, if we stop there for a second and look over in Luke 24, I think I might have, I might have put it on the PowerPoint. You don't have to turn it, put it on the PowerPoint for you. This is what Jesus says after he resurrects. He says this to his followers. This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So he's resurrected. He tells them to stay in Jerusalem because repentance and forgiveness of sins is going to be preached. And John says, you're going to get the Holy Spirit. My baptism is just for, uh, for repentance and forgiveness of sins. Jesus is going, to, is going to bring the Holy Spirit. Amen. It appears to be the same preaching. But John says that Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Look in your Bibles in Acts 2, verse 36. Let's take a look here. Put your finger in Luke and flip over to, to Acts 2. And we can see what happens in Jerusalem. We can see what John and Jesus are leading us to. Peter preaches a message that is about Jesus being the Messiah. And he says to the, to the people there, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized. Similar to John. Very similar to John. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus, 
for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many of the words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to the number that day. Jesus and John had the same message. It was the same. John's baptism forgave your sins. Being baptized in the name of Jesus gave you the Holy Spirit. In fact, John's disciples who were baptized got rebaptized in John in Acts chapter 19. Yeah. They never had the Holy Spirit. They go, what should we do? And so they get baptized. And then Paul gives them the laying of the hands and gives them the, the miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit. Because there were two kinds of ways you get the Spirit back then. One was you were baptized and got the Holy Spirit. The other one was you got it through, it was miraculous. The apostles gave you an ability that was not from human origin to prove that what you were doing was from God. They needed the proof. They didn't have the scriptures. It wasn't complete. So the only way to prove what you were saying was to show you a sign. Special knowledge, speaking in tongues. But John's disciples all got rebaptized. You know, so many churches want to remove this teaching from the scriptures. They literally have to omit almost half of the Bible to prove it. Because when they were baptized through the Red Sea, in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, you were baptized into Moses. You were baptized into the sea. Just a foreshadow of the past. Peter says, hey, remember Noah, when God flooded the earth and Noah ate and all were saved through water. Right. Yeah. Naaman, the Syrian commander, the Gentile, goes to Elisha. He has leprosy. Elisha doesn't even come to the door. Hey, go dip yourself seven times in the Jordan. Go dip yourself. Immerse yourself. Why is that in the Bible? It's just a foreshadow of what's to come. Yeah. Of John the Baptist. Of Jesus. Of the church. But you've got to study your Bible to know this stuff. Amen. You can't get this from just the Sunday sermon. You've got to go back and you've got to study it. You've got to look at it. Right. You've got to know it. Yep. You know, we have to preach a message of change without hesitation. Our preteens are doing it. Talked to Steve Burns this morning. He's like, man, we're, we're having visitors to our preteen event. It's growing and growing. That's right. So either the kids are sharing or the parents are sharing. Whoever's sharing, way to go. Way to do it. But we need to change. We always need to change. Amen. I think for some of us, some of us have stopped being radical. And some of us have become churchgoers. And we need to change that. Amen. We can't change that. Don't get down on yourself. Don't get all negative. Just change that. Don't get all full of self-pity. Just change it. It's simple. When I hurt my wife's feelings, I want to change, right? Amen. It's like, ah, it's not good. i got to repent. Right. Simple. I change. I go from being prideful to humble, right? It's very simple. I accept responsibility versus I was trying to defend my position. Just be humble, Gio. And humbly, humility works. Works pretty good. Yeah. Pretty fired up, right? Pretty exciting. You know you're being prideful when your daughter says, Dad, are you guys going to get some help? What's going on here? Okay, it's great. We thought we were hiding it. 
Apparently not. <laughs> Let me tell you how John how radical he was. Look in verse 19. Look how radical he was. Look at the scriptures to see this man's conviction. We're going to close out here. Verse 19. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. He eventually beheads John the Baptist. Herod was a ruler, a tetrarch, who married his brother's wife while his brother was alive. His brother's wife took a liking to the tetrarch. He says, come be my wife. I'll get rid of my wife. You be my wife. And so it was. And he was the leader. And no one said boo. And John goes, that's immoral and that's wrong. That's how radical he was. If his, wife, if his brother's wife was, if his brother's uh, uh, brother had died, legally he could have, re- he could have married the wife. Yeah. Legally, according to the Old Testament laws. But what he did was immoral. And John, just like Nathan, who rebuked David and lived, tells you a lot about David, doesn't it? And here's John rebuking the Tetrarch, and he's killed for it. He had a radical conviction on what was right and what was wrong. We need that conviction. Right and wrong. It gives you so much clarity. We see in the Bible that we can become men and women of deep spirituality if we want to. But are you willing to change your life in a way that, res- that reflects the examples in the Bible? Are you willing to change your life, your convictions, your minds? For Jesus said and John says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Thank you and have a great morning.